you are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. going on everybody welcome to another episode of the locked on vikings podcast part of locked on podcast network your team every day as always i am your host your pal in the kitty copy off in math class my name is luke braun you can find me on twitter at luke braun nfl you can find the show on twitter at locked on vikings i also want to shout out the peacock and williamson podcast brian peacock and matt williamson doing a great job over there covering everything from the national angle on the whole nfl covering you know carson wentz all the aaron Rodgers saga i guess what's going on with the vikings is kind of the national thing now uh doing a great job over there and i guess let's start with the big news coming out of training camp on thursday which is that uh kirk cousins and nate stanley have been activated off of the covid19 reserve list they're back they practiced everything is hunky-dory there and kirk cousins gave a press conference that was kind of the biggest story in the nfl so we got to talk about it uh and again i I really just want to talk about the football i'm so exhausted with all of this stuff about whether or not kirk cousins is vaccinated but because it presents an availability concern for arguably the most important player on the vikings for better or worse it's like just the biggest thing affecting the Viking seasons right now. It's it's like three months ago, we were talking about, uh, you know, the draft and did they do enough on the offensive line and were the defensive acquisitions enough or is Patrick Peterson too old and all this stuff. And those were all the talkers. And now all of that seems so small in comparison to this nightmare scenario where Kirk Cousins could catch COVID-19 on a, on a plane going somewhere or at the grocery store from a teammate or a family member or something and be out for two weeks. And that could be the two weeks that the Vikings need a win really bad or else they're out of playoff contention or something like that. And, and that just that nightmare scenario, it just it, it can't get out of any of our heads. And whether or not you agree with that, he should need to be vaccinated or whether you think it's Kirk Cousins' fault or you think it's the protocol's fault for all of this. Either way, this is terrible for the Minnesota Vikings. And here is what Kirk Cousins had to say in that particular press conference. His party line was to say that his the thing he blamed for being held out of practice for four days, and he talked about how that's frustrating, I've never missed that much practice in my career, blah, blah, blah. And he said, you know, what he blamed was what, that the quarterback room was too small. If they were in a bigger room and spaced out the way that they were spaced out, he would not have been considered a high-risk close contact. And so we moved to a bigger room, and basically tried to pass off that, yep, now the problem's solved. Um, he essentially he said, yeah, the protocols work, I believe in the protocols, and and argued that the protocols are sufficient to prevent an outbreak of COVID-19 in a way, and you know, when asked, are you going to get the vaccine? He said, oh, that's private, and he wouldn't answer it. Um, but in a way, essentially implying the protocols are good enough, we don't need the vaccine, um, and that's kind of where I'm at, and I'm not going to talk to you about the vaccine. Um, and even when pressed really, really hard, Judd Zolgad especially um, really pressed him and, and kind of said, you know, look, how can you justify this decision to risk being unavailable for your teammates? Uh, and he literally said, like, agree to disagree, essentially disagreeing that he is at risk of being unavailable for his teammates and essentially moving forward. He is just going to try his best to follow the protocols and socially distance and use masks and kind of act as though, you know, this is last year and try not to get COVID that way. 
Um, and I, that is quite a lot <laughs> to process because there's there's so many flawed premises in his argument. Um, for one, there's a kind of implied premise that once you've done just enough, uh, you don't need to go do more to increase your chances. And I think we need to have a, a, a real long talk with Kirk Cousins about standards of excellence here because uh, it's, you know, just just doing the protocols is like just making the playoffs. Buddy, it's not good enough. Um, he also mentioned uh, a talking point that I've heard from players before. Alexander Madison said this when he was uh, being loud online, I guess, about Rick Dennison and how he was, you know, kind of expressing his frustration with that. This idea that, well, the 2020 season went off fine. So why do we need to all go get the vaccine? You know, why do we need to make this such a contentious thing? The 2020 season was fine. Why can't we just do that again? Um, and again, let's have a talk about standards of excellence here because I don't think we want to repeat the 2020 season. The 2020 season was really bad in ways that directly affected the Vikings. For one, the lack of preseason, the, the, the truncated offseason program had terrible effects on Justin Jefferson, who got off to a slower start. Imagine if we had, you know, December Justin Jefferson in September. That would have been pretty awesome. We wouldn't have had that whole thing about his target share. Uh, imagine if, I mean, look at K.J. Osborne, who seems to be coming on really strong here in, in this preseason. What if he had a true camp and a true preseason to show his skills? Maybe if we had a preseason game to find out that Dan Chisena couldn't tackle, maybe he wouldn't have made the team. Maybe we wouldn't have given up that, you know, those kickoff, uh, all those kickoff returns that ended up losing the Vikings games. Um, maybe the special teams problems wouldn't have been so in, in, insane. Maybe Marwan Malouf wouldn't have been fired. There's a lot of maybes I could go through with how the COVID-19 pandemic affected the Vikings specifically in an adverse way. Um, and I, I could probably point to other teams as stronger examples, right? The Broncos are the easy one where this exact thing happened to the Broncos and they had to basically put in a practice squad wide receiver at quarterback and try to run an entire game out of the Wildcat and they scored like three points or whatever. Um, there's the Steelers who didn't do anything uh, wrong. They didn't have an outbreak at all, but because the, of unfortunate timing with an outbreak the Titans had and then one the Ravens had and stuff, they were basically robbed of a bye week. They had a bye week technically. technically. They had a week where they didn't play a game, but they had practiced all the way up to that game, then didn't play that game, and had that game rescheduled to when their true bye week should have been. So all the players were sore and bruised and had a whole full week of practice, essentially just had, you know, one day off, and that was Sunday. Um, and lo and behold, look at what happened to the Steelers at the end of the season. By December, they couldn't even beat the Bengals. They got blown up by the Browns at home. They had completely run out of gas. There's a lot of bad stuff that happened in the 2020 season, and to imply that it just went off without a hitch, totally fine. When we were rescheduling games, entire position groups were getting knocked out. It dominated the 2020 season. It defined the 2020 season. And to basically throw caution to the wind and say, well, if that happens again, I'm fine with that. I don't know. Seems to me like not the, the way to go. And Kirk Cousins continued to essentially imply, look, I will do everything possible to, to strengthen the protocols, to make sure that I don't become a high-risk close contact ever again, and I'll make sure nothing ever happens again. And it's, it's very much like, I will do anything, but I won't do that. <laughs> and, and he said, you know, we'll have, we'll have meetings outside because the protocols are different outside. And if there's a, a COVID-positive person, but we met outside, you know, I wouldn't be held out. And essentially, he was focusing in very much on the idea of being a high-risk close contact because a quarterback was in the room with him and not driving at the larger issue, which is his particular vulnerability to COVID-19 because he's not vaccinated. 
and to dodge out that way um i think sits wrong with a lot of people uh it definitely sits wrong with a lot of the media you know judd zilgad wrote a scathing piece at score north uh the, the athletic the chat graphs wrote a scathing piece at the athletic um and i think for a lot of people who saw kirk cousins i mean look he was the most boilerplate quarterback ever the the one thing you could rely on him was that he wouldn't like get in trouble off the field and make you feel ashamed to be a Vikings fan. But here we are. Uh, a lot of people are ashamed to be Vikings fans. I know they're telling me. Uh, so I guess we just kind of have to move on and talk about what else happened at training camp. Cause I, I kind of want to move from this and, and talk a little bit more about the football. Um, we'll talk about injuries. We'll talk about uh, the rest day and the veteran stuff and all of that in just a second. But first I want to talk to you about built bar built bar is the best tasting protein bar on the planet covered in 100% chocolate and it tastes like a candy bar. You want an Almond Joy? they got a coconut almond covered in chocolate. Tastes just like an Almond Joy or a Mounds if you don't want the almond. Uh, they've got mint chocolate. Uh, they've got peanut butter brownie. They've got cookies and cream, cherry barcia, all these things that you just feel like you shouldn't be able to indulge in if you're trying to lose or maintain weight or if you're doing keto. They're keto friendly, but they don't taste like they're like keto friendly. They taste like they're full of carbs. And they're low carb, low sugar, high in protein, high in fiber, low calorie. They're delicious. So head on over to BuiltBar.com. I recommend the sampler. That's two of each of their nine delicious flavors. Also check back to the Built Bar website every once in a while. They've got specialty flavors that come out here and there uh, that are always, those are the real bangers. So check check those out every once in a while. But whatever you buy at BuiltBar.com, enter promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5. You get 15% off of your next order. That is at BuiltBar.com. Moving on, let's talk about the actual football practice that went down on Thursday. Vikings practiced. Kirk Cousins came in. They had everybody. Um, well, not they didn't really have everybody. So, of course, they've been getting a little bit healthier. Um, but they've had some veteran rest days. Anthony Barr had a rest day yesterday. I don't think I mentioned that. Um, they also had, he was back full participant. Everything's fine. Totally healthy. Just giving him a day off because he's getting older. Um, same thing happened on Thursday for... Uh, so Wednesday was Barr's day off. Same thing happened Thursday for Harrison Smith, Adam Thielen, Patrick Peterson, Dakota Dozier. Um, and I think there was one other guy. But yeah, the, the old guys got a day off. They'll be fine. Um, Michael Pierce was a full participant. That was really good to see. He went in the team drills and everything, took all the first team reps and all that stuff. Michael Pierce actually participating in camp, whatever that calf thing is, um, is hopefully mostly behind him by now. Um, and the the interesting thing about all this is that because Thielen and Smith were not participants, they were masked. And that was a protocol that Dakota Dozier and Patrick Peterson, Patrick Peterson said on his podcast, All Things Covered, that he is vaccinated. He was not wearing a mask, which implies that if you're unvaccinated and you're not participating, but you're out there on the field, you got to be masked, which is a, a logical protocol to have to follow. But it helps us identify who is or isn't at risk of missing games because of close contact in the way Kirk Cousins did. And of course, that's Thielen and Smith, which we kind of already knew. A lot of people already suspected um, because, you know, Caitlin Thielen, Adam Thielen's wife, has very uh, outwardly expressed anti-vaccination views. Um, Harrison Smith and Adam Thielen have both like dodged questions about it and stuff. Um, and, and there's a lot of people that have kind of said to me, like, well, why don't you have this same energy for Thielen and Harrison Smith? You just hate Kirk Cousins. Guys, I do. I think they're just as, I, I'm, I'm just as disappointed in them, I guess, is what's put it diplomatically um and if those guys miss time in the regular season you best believe i will be just as upset as i am right now and just as ashamed and disappointed the vikings as of a recent report are the lowest vaccinated team in the league worst vaccination rate in the league 
Um, and that is because the teams like spiritual leaders are Thielen, Harrison Smith, and Kirk Cousins, people who don't buy it, people who are, um, you know, to put it the way Mike Zimmer put it, the things they've read are just woof. <laughs> but anyways, so a, a lot of those starters were out, and that afforded some interesting opportunities. The most interesting, you know, if Dakota Dozier's out, that means Oli Udo gets all the right guard reps, and he had himself a day. I think he had a really good day. There's one bad play that I found that he was a little late to pick up a blitz and he kind of overcommitted and he couldn't get back to the to the A gap to pick up a blitz and he gave up a sack. Um, but otherwise, he held up really well against Dalvin Tomlinson and Sheldon Richardson, who are still kind of rotating, call it competing for a start, but I think it's just going to always be a rotation um, and keep those guys fresh, which is pretty awesome. And uh, the offensive line on the whole, I thought had a pretty good day amidst the rest of the offense, having an absolutely putrid one. Uh, Kirk Cousins was not as accurate as you're used to him seeing, used to him being. Um, Jake Browning had another kind of up and down day where I, I feel a little bit wary of making him the quarterback. Although after reading some uh, reporting from AJ Kuzinski and uh, Courtney Cronin, it seems like he is kind of you know far and away the favorite to be to be the quarterback to the backup quarterback, the guy that goes in if if Kirk Cousins goes down. I don't feel great about that, but I guess that's where we are. Um, also, Justin Jefferson had a really, really rough day. He dropped four or five passes. He had a fumble. Um, he actually had a contested catch that he lost against Bashad Breland. He had actually gotten a step on him. The ball was a little bit underthrown. I, I don't remember who threw the ball. I can't say for sure that it was Cousins, even though those are, those are all first-team guys. Um, he kind of went down hard, got up a little slow, talked to Eric Sugarman for a little bit, went back in. So we were all okay, but it was a little scary. Um, and ultimately, I mean, you just had the drops. It happens. You have a bad day, right? So it's not, not like cause con for concern unless he has lots of bad days in a row. Um, but a rough day for him. Of course, no Adam Thielen. KJ Osborne I, I still played pretty well, um, played, you know, better than my prior was on him, uh, but wasn't as good as he was the, the other days. Um, Irv Smith still scores a lot of touchdowns in like red zone drills and stuff, but uh, he wasn't quite as good. Um, and ultimately, when it came to like 11 on 11s and the actual like drills that these guys are doing, um, the defense just got the better of the offense constantly. Um, whether it was, you know, first team, second team, third team, the defense just beat the crap out of the offense on Thursday. Those ones, those ones will happen. There have been days where the offense beat the crap out of the defense, too. They just, you know, it's a day by day thing. We all go back and forth. Um, but when it comes to that kind of thing, where you have the defense making all these plays. I should shout out Cameron Dantzler, who had two picks. One of them was uh, tipped, and it was a tip drill. The other one was, like, genuinely, he just played an underthrown ball really well. Um, there's, But when you have that kind of day, there's always this tug of war. You know, okay, Cameron Dantzler gets an interception on Justin Jefferson. What does that mean, right? And, you know, Justin Jefferson did not play the underthrown ball very well. We could blame the ball for being underthrown. We could say Cam Dantzler made a good play. It was an interception. We could say, well, it was easy because it was underthrown. It was easy for him to play it, but it wasn't easy for him to box out Justin Jefferson. Or do we blame Justin Jefferson for getting boxed out? You know, who do we attribute, like, the credit to? Who do we change our perceptions of based on these plays? And I want to kind of have that conversation. Let's talk a little bit about training camp hype. I'm, I'm really enjoying being able to kind of get into training camp on a more granular level on a play-by-play -play level but that also requires like a different frame of mind I don't know I'll explain it in a second uh, stick around so something that I get asked a lot when I'm like live tweeting training camp and if you don't follow me on twitter at Luke Brown NFL and you're interested in you know more play-by-play -play granular updates than the stuff you'll get from the recaps and the you know training camp notebooks the stuff you'll get from like the Matthew Collars and the Courtney Cronins in the world that'll give you the broad strokes and the things that happen the stuff you need to know but if you want like a more detailed analysis 
um, or at least a detailed account. Um, that's what I'm doing right now. And, you know, help make you feel like you're there. Right. And to, to approach that stuff, you know, we're kind of trained, our brains are trained on the, the Matthew caller, uh, Courtney Cronin, you know, the star tribune, the athletic, the, the full on recap, what are the big stories? What happened? You know, what, what did the people say? What, what is going on kind of analysis, which gives you the biggest things that are going on and sort of leaves the small details by the wayside. You're never going to find uh, things like, oh, Dan Chisena got a great catch against Luther Kirk in that one. But Dan Chisena did. And I actually should shout out Dan Chisena on Thursday, who had a pretty good day. He actually made uh, a, a number of plays, which is, um, you know, I want to see a lot more from him before I start believing in him. But it starts with one, right? Um, but you're not going to find that kind of stuff. Why would they put that in their article, right? There's no reason for them to put They're trying to keep this thing under you know, 700 words. They don't have time to tell you that Dan just sent a made a catch. Um, and so when you're look, and our, our brains are trained to respond to that kind of analysis. If it's, if it isn't mentioned, it probably isn't dynamic. If you didn't hear anything about Dalvin Tomlinson, Dalvin Tomlinson probably isn't doing anything that spectacular. Um, and, I, now, I think you should be hearing a lot about Dalvin Tomlinson. He wins just about every run play he's in on. Uh, but again, you know, that's not the story. That's not, the th you know, the story is Irv Smith. The story is vaccination status. The story is Justin Jefferson. The story is all this other stuff um, and KJ Osborne and stuff. Um, and that's what you're going to hear about. So to go to a more granular level, there is, you, you kind of have to let go of this idea that if I'm hearing about it, it's spectacular. If you're hearing about it, it's because I saw it, <laughs> it's because I noticed. Um, and sometimes I noticed because I made a point to watch that guy on that play. You know, there'll be a run play that everybody says, ooh, you know, uh, Kane Wangu touchdown. And um, that is probably it. And I was watching Ezra Cleveland on that play. And I said, oh, okay, Ezra Cleveland made this block. And I wouldn't even tweet that there's a touchdown because I wasn't watching the running back, you know. Um, and so on that more granular level and, and to a more broad aspect, you know, when you see the training camp updates, uh, when you see the, 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 the clips, the highlights, the team posts and stuff in the, you know, the ESPN articles that says, you know, oh, yeah, Justin Jefferson got a great touchdown over Cam Dantzler, right? What do we make of that? And essentially, how do we get something actionable? And I use the word actionable lightly. There's nothing we as fans are taking action. We're not doing any actions here. But what, what can we take that advances our understanding of the Vikings? And I always think it's kind of fun, and you can do this to me too, you can totally get me on this, uh, to look at somebody's training camp reports and look at something that is very clearly, you know, a zero-sum moment. One player wins and another player loses. Somebody had a good rep, that means somebody had to have a bad rep, right? Um, and when, you know, you're, you're, when the Vikings are playing the Vikings, the Vikings both win and lose. And it's kind of a litmus test. What do people focus on? You could totally get me on this because I always focus on the winner. Part of it is because the winner's easier to see, right? You know, okay, Justin Jefferson made the catch. That's a lot easier for me to, to, to like, get my eye on than the guy he happened to beat, who I have to, like, figure, kind of go find him on the way back to the huddle and, like, hope I got the right guy based on the angle he's walking from. Um, and so I will often, you know, go with the winner rather than the loser because I'm, that's just, like, what I watch. But I also, I don't know, I, it's more fun. So whatever, I'm going to focus on the winner more than the loser. And I, I don't have any qualms about that, even though that's not particularly fair and balanced. Um, but, you know, I, I think that there's always a little bit of a litmus test. You know, when you have, and let's do a completely uncharged example. When Dan Chisena beats Luther Kirk, do we say, wow, Luther Kirk is so bad. He just lost to Dan Chisena. Or, wow, Dan Chisena won a rep. That's improvement for him. That's really nice. Both things are true, right? Um, but like both 
statements follow perfectly logically, which one is a more likely outcome to be useful probably depends a lot on our priors. When it comes to Dan Chisena and Luther Kirk, well, our priors on those two guys are probably not great as in terms of their abilities from, like, scrimmage. Um, and that kind of means that really any anything we say, if we try to say Dan Chisena is suddenly good now because he beat Luther Kirk, obviously we're not going to get very far with that. And if we go with, well, Luther Kirk's still bad, yeah, we're probably going to uh, have a little more success with that take if we put it out there, right? So maybe the one that matches our priors more. But of course, that opens us up to a lot of confirmation bias, right? If you kind of say, well, you know, uh, K.J. Osborne beat Patrick Peterson, well, the the thing that matches up to my priors is that Patrick Peterson is slow and he's not good anymore because he got busted for PEDs two years ago. He hasn't been good since that. And we know K.J. Osborne's bad, so maybe that's just bad player beating bad player and I don't need to care about it. But compare that to the patterns we've seen over the rest of camp with K.J. Osborne. Obviously, we wouldn't be right about K.J. Osborne there. And as for Patrick Peterson, I don't know. Um, I, to be determined there, his camp has kind of been up and down um, and I, he's underperformed my prior for him by a little, but not by a lot. Um, so I guess, you know, we'll table him for now, but with KJ Osborne, that framework would make you wrong about him. Right. And so again, like I talked about yesterday when I talked about, um, you know, training camp hype and, uh, like highlights and clips and stuff and how not to get too excited about highlights. The, the key is to look for patterns. KJ Osborne beats Patrick Peterson once hard to take anything from that. KJ Osborne beats everybody all day for several days in a row okay, maybe K.J. Osborne just, like, fixed something, and he's, like, better. And on K.J. Osborne, by the way, a total tangent, um, somebody kind of asked, like, what he's doing that is better, like, specifically and technically, and I wanted to kind of watch for that a little bit more. Um, one thing that I noticed that he's doing, and I don't know if he did this, did this in 2020, but I kind of feel like he wouldn't have done it because this would have helped him a lot, um, and he didn't do that well as a wide receiver, obviously didn't even get on the field, uh, is his eyes are very late. And this is something that you really want wide receivers to do. This is a Randy Moss lesson, um, something you can watch Randy Moss do. And he was like the, the greatest at it, um, which is his eyes. What he would feel when the ball was coming. He just had this great sense for timing. And he would be able to turn his eyes around, turn his head around for the ball at the very last second. Now, defensive backs, they're not looking and tracking the ball like wide receivers are. Because if they look back and they start tracking the ball, the wide receiver can lose them. Because, you know, the wide receiver knows when the ball's coming. The defensive back doesn't, and you risk turning around too early, and the guy just, like, dusts you. Um, so defensive backs have to rely on the wide receiver turning their head around as kind of the signal for, oh, the ball's going to be here now. And Randy Moss, with his great sense of timing, would always turn his head around way late. And defensive backs would even watch your face, and Randy Moss very famously trained his eyes not to widen when the ball came there. So defensive backs would have a really tough time figuring out when the ball was, trying to figure out when to get their hand up. And I, I noticed, um, you know, nobody's Randy Moss about it, but uh, I, I, I kind of noticed that same late head turnaround thing with K.J. Osborne and this natural ability to kind of track the ball very quickly in a very short amount of time when you know the ball's coming. Um, and I, I don't know if he did that last year or not, but that's really, really exciting. Anyways, um, and that's also the kind of thing, you know, find traits too. Don't just say, okay, uh, D.J. Wanham beat Rashad Hill, must mean D.J. Good. Rashad Hill bad. Um, that's not necessarily where I would take that, right? And if you have the, you know, if, if you kind of understand what you're looking at, and hopefully by listening to this show, I can help expand your understanding of that. 
uh, if you don't have it already. Um, but if you understand what you're looking at and you say, oh, wow, like that was a swim move that looked really good or that was a swim move that looked really bad and he lost to it anyways, that can kind of help you parse out was a player good or was the, the player he was playing against bad. And that can kind of help us figure out exactly what to take from training camp. Training camp can be predictive and actionable, right? I don't want to take the nihilist stance of, well, you know, training camp is just training camp. And uh, remember that one time some guy had a good camp and then he didn't make the team or, you know, vice versa or whatever. And uh, nothing matters. Let's all just wait till we, I, I don't want to be that nihilist about it. You know, I want to find ways to identify what we can take from camp. And I, I think a really good way to do that is to try to look for more specifics. Don't look for who beat who, but look for why when you're watching those videos. Um, and, you know, when I'm trying to live tweet for camp, I kind of try to say, oh, wow, really good kick out block from this guy. You know, this is a skill that he did that was good. Um, not necessarily he beat the guy on a one on one. It's he did a really good spin move and, you know, guy wasn't ready for it. That kind of stuff, I think, can be a little bit more informative. And to a level of detail that can help us get something a little more actionable out of training camp. Um, and hopefully, you know, training camp gets a little old after a while, looking at all the highlights and stuff. You know, by day 14 of it, you know, you're kind of sick of just watching highlights completely out of context and not really knowing if we should be excited about Chad Beebe catching a touchdown or not. Um, and hopefully by kind of expanding what we're looking for and, and deepening what we're looking for, there's so much more to explore that it'll last us a few more days. But Anyways, uh, I will see you all next week. We will recap the U.S. Bank Stadium practice, probably primarily everything else that goes on in camp and whatever's going on in the wacky world of TCO Performance Center. Uh, I'm sure there'll be all kinds of fun stuff to talk about. Uh, so I'll see you on Monday. In the meantime, go check out the Locked On Bets podcast. They can help you get your rambles in order. Your boy Hugh and Lee Sterling doing a great job over there, giving you good old rambling advice. I will see you all next week. And as always, skull.